Well, welcome home. Welcome to Northridge Church. My name is Daniel. I get the opportunity to teach uh, God's word today as we're in week two or part two of our series called Where Are You Christmas? And uh, Drew kicked us off last week. And if you remember, if you were here, if you were not, it's fine. It's, it's totally fine. In the intro, uh, Drew did a comparison game where we uh, voted on our favorite Christmas movies. And we learned that Drew's favorite movie is uh, The Christmas Carol, the creepy like horror film. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I don't like the Christmas Carol, obviously, as you can tell by that expression. But one of my favorite Christmas movies, top three or four at least, is the counterpart to that in that voting, which was The Grinch, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And just to uh, cease debate, I like all the Grinches, the old cartoon, the newer live action Jim Carrey, and even the newer, newer uh, animation by DreamWorks on The Grinch. I like all those for different reasons. But The title of this series came from that Jim Carrey version of The Grinch of Cindy Lou Who, this character singing this song, Where Are You Christmas? Because Cindy Lou Who could see the uh, expressions of Christmas, if you will, the, the lights, the trees, the gifts under uh, the tree, the twinkly lights, the snow on the ground, the decorations, the giving and receiving of gifts, the indulging of the food. And, and she was asking herself this simple question like, is this what Christmas is all about? And that's the same question that we're asking is like, where are you Christmas? Where is the heart or the meaning, the purpose, if you will, of Christmas? And and this morning, I want to ask that same question and take us back to the first Christmas. If you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be in Luke chapter two, uh, just the first seven verses of Luke chapter two, the story of the arrival of Jesus and in that first Christmas, uh, if you will, uh, and or you can look, follow along on the Northridge Notes app or in, just look at the Sky Bible on the screen and you can see the verses uh, there with me. Uh, I'm going to read the whole uh, chunk of scripture that we're going to be in and then we'll break it down together later on. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 goes like this. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So in the midst of me reading that, many of you probably struggled to keep up. Uh, And not because uh, you struggle with reading comprehension or any of that. It's because that's not the first time you've heard that story. Even if you've never read the text of the Bible for yourself and heard it uh, in that way of reading it with your own eyes, you've heard it. You've either read it in Christmas books or you've heard it preached in church. You maybe even have seen some Christmas plays or Christmas pageants. Uh, uh, You may even watch the story on the screen. And, you know, we have all these other influences uh, to that first Christmas. And so when I was reading those words, you were probably filling in the gaps or these images were probably playing in your mind of like, this is how it happened. But, you know, the first time you experience something can be really special. Like, like for me, the, I remember the very first 
holiday Christmas latte from Starbucks chestnut praline that I ever had. Like, let me tell you, like, Reen and I, my wife, we were married. It was the very first Christmas we were married, and she was working part-time at a jewelry store, and um, it was December. The holiday drinks were out at Starbucks, and so I thought, you know, I had to drop her off at work early that day uh, because her car was getting some work done on it. I was like, you know, I'm going to grab a good book, go get a latte, sip some coffee, and, and, and read while I wait for her to get off work. I have about an hour or so to, to burn, so let's do that. So I grab a good book off the bookshelf at her home, and and I drive to the Starbucks that was right beside her work, and um, I walk up to the, the barista at the register, and I order my normal holiday drink. I need a white chocolate peppermint mocha. And they said, sorry, sir, we're all out of peppermint. And I was thinking, you have one job in December. Uh, but anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there. That wouldn't be nice, but I, I didn't think it. So, but I was like, well... Um, what is your favorite uh, holiday drink that, or latte, the seasonal that I have, that you have left? And so they're like, sir, have you tried the chestnut praline? I was like, no, I'll take one of those. So I get my latte, I go find a good reading chair at the Starbucks, I sit down, I open up my book, I begin reading, I take that first sip, and it was like Christmas hit my taste buds, all right? It was, it was incredible. Like I can't, it was, it was everything you wish for in a drink, the spice, the sweetness, everything. It was Christmas in a cup. And so I, I drink the latte, I throw away the cup, and I, I jump in uh, my truck and I go to pick up my wife. I, I pick her up and she was like, you know, I'm feeling a little droggy, we have some things to do. I, can we run through Starbucks? And I was like, yes, we can. <laughs> and I ordered another chestnut praline latte. But let me tell you, like, the way that I had built that first one up in my mind, even though there was just a few short minutes that elapsed between the final drink and then the first drink of the second cup, it let me down. Like it wasn't as good as the first drink that I had. And now every holiday, every Christmas season rolls around. They roll out, Starbucks rolls out their drinks. I drive through at least four or five times and I'm like, chestnut praline, come on, come on, come on. And, and it's never as good as I build it up to be in my mind. In fact, I was so dedicated to having Christmas in a cup that I found a black market like Starbucks syrups dealer on eBay and ordered the chestnut pearly. And let me tell you, that is a niche syrup and it is expensive, uh, too expensive for syrup. But sometimes in July, we're like, we need Christmas in July at our house. So I make myself a chestnut praline latte and it's good, but it's for whatever reason, it's just not as good as that first experience. And for all of us with the Christmas story, it's, that's kind of what it could feel like. If you grew up in church or maybe not, you're like, yeah, the Christmas story, that's how it happened. Because we know how it happened, right? There's this couple named Mary and Joseph, and they're engaged, and, and, and she finds out that she's pregnant, but he didn't conceive the baby, so there's some dynamic there they got to work through. And they get this letter in the mail eventually, and the governor says, uh, the Rome, ruling emperor says, they all got to go back to their own hometown. And, and so they saddle up on a donkey, and... They're riding in, and, and man, she's like nine months pregnant. Like, she is about to pop at any moment, and she's uncomfortable already, but I can't imagine riding a donkey while being nine months pregnant, and she's about, and then they, finally, they, they do that four-day or so travel. They get to the city where they're supposed to go. They say, welcome to Bethlehem. They pass the sign, and then, boom, her water breaks, and then she turns over and is like, hey, where are we staying at? And he's like, dang it, my Airbnb confirmation did not confirm. I do not have a location for us to stay at. Let's just find a hotel, all right? And so they start knocking on doors. They go to the double tree, and they're like, sorry, sorry, we're full. 
They go to La Quinta. Nope, sorry, we're full. They go to the Holiday Inn Express. Nope, not even your points work right now. We're packed. And they go to the uh, Motel 6. They didn't even leave a light on. Like, and so they, they're just one after another, after another, after another. They just keep getting shut down. And eventually, they find this mom-and-pop hotel, and they're like, they just have this compassion for this young couple, this woman literally about to give birth, and like, you know what? We got a barn out back. Um, I'm not giving you any room in here, but you could go out back to the barn. And so there's, they go out there with the chickens and the donkeys and the horses and the cows, and bam, there's Jesus. He's born and laid in a feeding trough. That's how the first Christmas happened. We know that, Right? Well, the tension is, as many of us, we fill in these gaps in the story, if you will, with whatever creative luxuries we will. But my proposal today is, can we try to clear our minds and experience the Christmas story as the text, as Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 present, and see how it can change our perspective and also how we see the question, where are you Christmas? So verse one of Luke chapter two, uh, it says that there was uh, a governor, his name was uh, the first Roman emperor, uh, Caesar Augustus, and he issues this census. And a census to them was census to us. They want to count all the people, but they have to go back to where they came from, where they were born, the town where they originated. And in verse two, it tells us this is not the only census that was taken place. And the, the phrase that's used in um, in those first few verses, the full inhabited world is just everywhere that Rome has its rule, that they want to count how many people are in our empire. And we know that Joseph and Mary, they were residing in a town called Nazareth, which is in Galilee, but they had to travel all the way down to Bethlehem. And so we have a map here that shows you kind of that journey. They were living in Nazareth and they had to travel this journey all the way down to Bethlehem. There's a few things. First, this is about a four-day journey by beast or by foot, uh, if you want to think of it like that. And the text says that you remember that it says they were headed up to uh, Jerusalem. Well, the tension is, as you could clearly see, this is down. This is headed south. Why does it say that? Well, there's two simple uh, reasons for that. Number one is you see the mountainous region in that uh, map there. And so they were headed up through the mountains. The second one is Jerusalem was the holy city where the temple was, where the presence of God was. And uh, so anytime you were headed there, you were, you were heading to a better location. You're headed up. And so they were, they were traveling in that regard. And most of us think, okay, Mary saddled up on a donkey. She's, she's crazy pregnant, but you know, that sounds like a wise decision. Let's get on a donkey. Well, the tension is, is they were really poor. They're, the chances are them of being able to afford a donkey is slim to none. And we know this because later on in Luke chapter two, when they go to offer um, to present Jesus at the temple, to dedicate him at the temple, they can't even afford the normal offering. They have to do the lesser offering that the law provided for those in poverty to still dedicate Jesus at the temple. And then there's, but for all of us who think uh, that Mary was uh, pregnant, busting pregnant, about to give birth at any moment in this regard, if you're a dad, you probably relate to this. Like there's, in Mary and Joseph's story, like I relate to Joseph, like, rushing around, like if you've ever been, uh, if you're a father and you, your wife has like went into labor, you, you know that angst that comes over you, like when it's like, it's time, like, right? It was this very week last year that my wife was pregnant with our uh, second child, and um, she was nine months pregnant at this point, this very week. 
And it was a Wednesday night, and it was uh, getting ready for the MYM, our student ministry's Christmas party, because my wife's a small group leader for the Webster Girls. Shout out, Webster Girls, uh, MYM. And we were having the Christmas party for all the teenagers uh, at the Rochester campus. And I get a phone call about 4.30 in the afternoon on that Wednesday, and it's my wife. And she's like, hey, just to let you know, I've been having contractions all day. And I was like, this seems like something I should know before, like all day, and it's 4.30, but you know, whatever. Um, and she's like, they're only like seven, six minutes apart. It's really not a big deal. I'm like, okay, should we call the doctor? Do we need to get the like go bag? Like, she's like, no, I'm going to the Christmas party. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I would do too. Um, but so we go to the Christmas party and uh, we're like having so much fun with all the teenagers. We're building gingerbread houses. We're singing Christmas carols. We're doing all of this. But I'm like watching my wife like a hawk because like I, like, I could see the look on her face. Like there's times where she's just like, like lean over to the wall and like let the contraction pass. And I'm like, hey, it's the time we should go. She's like, I'm finishing the Christmas party. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Um, and so we, when we finish the Christmas party, we give our firstborn son to our friends who are gonna watch him while, we're, while we go into the hospital. We get our dog, which is really our firstborn, but we don't tell them that. So and to our other friends who are gonna watch our dog. And, and, uh, and so we go to the hospital, they check us in and boom, a few hours later, here he was into the world. So I relate to Joseph, that panic, that rush, that tension that, that we feel with him, like that we see on the plays or in, on the screen that's dramatized out of like, he's rushing around and he's like, like knocking on all these doors, like, can my wife give, late, give birth here? Like, but really, what we need to know is two different words in this text that are, that are there. The first one is in verse five, where the NIV, what we just read, says she was expecting a child. And that's actually the most helpful wording that the English can render because the word just simply means she was pregnant. We have no timetable on how pregnant or, or whatever she was, but we just know that Mary was pregnant. The earlier translations in the English, the King James Version says great with child, which gives us this depiction in our mind of like, oh, well, she's ready to give birth at any moment. But simply the word means she was expecting a child. So we can know this, your first fill in the blank. Mary was pregnant. And, and the time came in verse six, as we read that next verse, the next wording is the time came. So the time came for her to deliver at some period of time had elapsed that they spent while they were in Bethlehem. But we don't know how much time that was. Could have been hours, could have been minutes, could have been days, could have been weeks, could have been a month or two. Like, but the time came. The moral of the story is, the point is, is that the time came while she was there to give birth. But based on another word that we need to look at, we know that this is your next fill in the blank. There was no hotel, and Joseph is not incompetent, all right? And so we know this because of the word that's used for um, guest room in the NIV, that there's no room in the guest room. Here on the screen, you can see a layout rendering of a first century Israelite um, home, and in this home, what you could see is, this is the layout. And this bottom image uh, here is what you'll notice. Uh, in the bottom far corner, you see a house that is probably equivalent to a two-bedroom house today or a double-wide trailer, if you will. And that small box above it is the scale model of how big a first century uh, Jewish home would be. 
Uh, and then above, you can kind of see that kind of in a, a more realistic picture. And you can see two primary living areas. You have the upstairs, which would have the main family room. And then there was a second room that was called the guest room or a room that they would keep for in case they had family members come into town or a traveler that needed to bed down. But the, the main family would, would sleep in that main room upstairs. And then that guest room was kept just in case they had anybody pop by. And then you have downstairs, which is more like the working space of the home, where the storage, the, the precious valuables were kept for them, which for them would be their animals, the, any grain or any food that they had would all be kept downstairs. That was also the location for the manger, the stone manger or the feeding trough for the animals, which we know that Mary placed Jesus in after she gave birth. And we know this for two reasons. Luke uses three words to talk about dwelling places um, in his gospel. The word used here, and it's also used in Luke 22, and it simply means a place to sleep, a guest room in a home. But there's also a word that you, Luke uses for a commercial inn or a hotel, which he uses in Luke chapter 10 to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, taught by Jesus. So we know that there simply is a home that the only reason we're given of where Jesus is placed is because the guest room was occupied. And so a helpful way to, to think of it is like this, is that there was a person or persons, if you will, a family taking Jesus into their home. And so it's the holiday season, so a, a good illustration for all of us would be thinking if we're traveling to uh, have Christmas together, maybe in this one home that you would be going maybe to your parents' home, or maybe it's a brother or sister or aunt, uncle, and there's all these people piling in, like Home Alone, right? The movie Home Alone. There's all these different family units piling into this one family house together. You know where you're going to uh, lodge for the evening, if you will, but you don't really know where you're going to sleep, like, I may end up in the guest room. I may end up on the couch. I may up in the, end up in the basement or in the attic. Like, I may end up all over this home, but I'm not sure where I'm going to sleep for the evening. This is what Mary and Joseph were, were going through. Like, they probably knew exactly whose home they were headed to, to, uh, to lodge for the evening, but maybe other family members showed up first. And so this family that welcomed them in just welcomed them in with the space that they had left. As simple as it gets, is they welcomed them into their home to the space that they had left, and Mary gave birth in that lower region of the home and then laid Jesus in the manger. And then we have later in Luke chapter 2, what we see is these shepherds show up at this family home and worship Jesus. But what I want you to notice is what's not included. What's not included is any thoughts about what this family thought about the fact that this girl gave birth to this child in this location nothing. No thoughts of adoration or worship, no gifts given, no celebration, no baby shower, no, nothing. Like, not even rejection. We have basically no response. Like, but then think about the fact that a few moments after this baby is born, or, or at least within the same night, these shepherds show up, and they knock on the door, and they like, we're told a baby was born, and he's here, how do you know that? Like, well, an angel told us. Okay, can we see him? Sure, he's, he's just downstairs. And they rush down there and they worship Jesus. They bow at Jesus. They tell Mary and Joseph everything. And you saw the scale picture of that home. It wasn't like they couldn't hear what was going on. Like, Jesus is just downstairs. 
And there's a family that's living in this home. There's probably another family unit that's in the guest room. And this is all going on. Like, like what in the world is happening here? Like, this is strange, to say the least. And then these shepherds tell Mary and Joseph all that the angel told them were told. And that's that famous verse that all mothers cherish in their heart, that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. That all these things are happening just downstairs. Yet this family seems to have missed it at least with the evidence that we have. Like, they missed it. Like, Jesus was downstairs. The weight, the gravity to this truth is like, what? And they did nothing, at least for what we have. Which leads me to ask the question of myself and of us this morning. Like, are, are you close to the heart or the meaning of Christmas and still missing it? Like, you're here. You're, you're in the room. You're watching online, you're, you're tuning in, you're, you're putting forth this effort, you're out in Webster. You're, you're like doing the right things. Like you're planning to give good gifts. Maybe even serve the less fortunate. You're planning to show up on Christmas Eve and you're gonna be here next weekend too and it's gonna be awesome. Like you're gonna do the right things. You're maybe even going through the Advent book that we gave out a couple weeks ago, that green little book, or you're doing it. Uh, reading plan on you version, like you're trying to prepare your heart for the season, like you're doing all the right things. You are very close. But for whatever reason, the posture of your heart, it's, it's just still missing it. Like you want to do all the right stuff. But are you doing all the right stuff? Like you're real, real, real close. But for whatever reason, like you're missing it. I want to urge you to Take time to embrace the person of Christmas. Because for this family, like, I haven't got over this point. He was right downstairs. He was right there. And for many of us, many of my time in my life, the point is so close. But how often do I spend missing the point? But I'm, I'm trying really hard. But we just need to slow down and embrace him. Embrace the person of Christmas. The, the whole point of it all. Why we do everything. We, take, we slow down. We take time to embrace him. Maybe it means we don't bake as many cookies. Maybe it means there's not as many presents around the tree, but we got the point. For, for me, I was reflecting on this and a verse came to my mind where the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where he talks about the ramifications of Jesus' life. And he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, well, how was he rich? Well, he's God. He, he was in heaven getting worshipped day and night by myriads and myriads of angels. Yet, for your sake, became poor. We, we learned this, that he was born in the most normal circumstances, to the most normal family, in a normal family home. That the weight of Christmas is not the fact that Jesus was born out back of a Motel 6 in a barn. Like, that's not the spectacularness of Christmas. The spectacularness, the supernaturalness of Christmas is the fact that God came to be with us as normal way as possible. 
He is Emmanuel, God with us. He chose to leave the riches of heaven to become poor for our sake, for my sake, for your sake, that you and I might experience the richness of him. That we might walk with him. That we might follow in his footsteps. That he lived the life that you and I, we could not live. As the perfect example, as the perfect sacrifice, he gave his life for our sake. That's the spectacularness of Jesus, of Christmas. So will we slow down and embrace this and apply this to our own heart and then from the fact that we applied it to our heart, do all those other good things as an act of worship. Because giving good gifts, being generous, giving of your time, serving less fortunate, all these things are good things. But they're an overflow. They're not the person. And if you are uh, at one of our campuses or watching online today, we gave out an additional resource for your kids because I know as a parent, I want my kids to get the point of Christmas is not plastic, but it's a person. And so we give out these awesome um, Advent devotionals, 14 days, that actually go right along with that green devotional that you got as a parent a few weeks ago. And they're 14 days, uh, they're written by our kids staff, shout out to Maddie, and all the stuff was done in-house. And so you could use this to remember while we wait what the point of Christmas really is. And we're about to take into a moment to remember even more specifically, to remember who the person of Christmas is and what the point is by taking communion. You have those elements, just hold on to them right now because our worship teams are gonna come. They're gonna lead us in one more song and we're gonna reflect. We're gonna look to Jesus, not only through this song, but also through taking of communion. It's another way that we look to Jesus, the person of Christmas, the point of Christmas, to embrace him because he's the reason for the season that he came in the most normal way he stepped into our mess so that we could join in his riches so if you would would you pray with me and then we're going to stand and sing together Jesus we thank you for who you are and the fact that you came to be among us in all of our mess in all of our brokenness that you came to dwell among us, to live the life we couldn't live, die the death that we deserved, so that we could have the opportunity to experience your riches. God, I pray that we would reflect and remember the weight of what you have already done for us, and that we would celebrate it through the taking of the bread that symbolizes your broken body, juice that symbolizes your poured out blood for us. That we would take this and we would remember you. That we would embrace you, the person of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?